Well, uh, as usual, uh, we're not going to get into a psalm tonight. Whenever we start a new book, we do an introduction to get things rolling and uh, get everybody kind of introduced to the, the book and um, some of the themes and what's going on. And then next Thursday, we'll start in Psalm chapter one. Uh, I haven't decided all the psalms that I'll do yet. Uh, I'll probably break them up into themes, uh, but we will do Psalm one and two. And I mean, I can think of a ton that I'm gonna do, but I don't know. Um, yeah, and we're not in a hurry, right? There's a lot in the Psalms, a lot of good stuff. Um, Galatians has proven that we're not in a hurry for anything except for the Lord to return. And uh, so, that's true. Whenever that puppy is, that's right. Yeah, okay, well, um, I didn't capitalize the R. Hmm. Don't judge me for that. Okay, well, why don't you stand up and we'll pray and we'll get started. All right, well, Father, we love you and we're grateful for your goodness. Lord, your kindness to us always. And um, Lord, we thank you for the book of Psalms has much to say to us. And it meets us where we're at, no matter where we're at. And uh, so I pray that as we go through this book, Lord, um, as, as each one of us is in a different place in life right now, our, our circumstances, our experience, and by your word, Lord, you can address those best. And the book of Psalms is certainly one of the best places. So I pray that the scriptures would come alive to us and uh, they would have their perfect work in us. So thank you, Lord. And we just pray for tonight that we would be encouraged to look further uh, into this uh, very special book or collection of many books. So Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, be seated, please. You can stand the whole time with me if you like. So, okay, well, uh, the book of Psalms, it's a book of poems. Uh, it's a book of hymns uh, that are accompanied by instruments. Um, uh, when the, the, the Jews sung their psalms, um, I don't think that you can have a psalm without instrumentation. I don't know that it's possible saying the, the definition of words, but uh, some of them were sung. Uh, some of them, it seems, it appears that they were more like a um, uh, spoken word. How many of you guys have listened to spoken word? <clears throat> it's something that is occurring in the black culture. So if you want to Google it sometime or look it up on YouTube, I would um, uh, encourage you to look up, you know, Christian spoken word <laughs> and listen to it. Some of it's very good and um, go and try it out. The, the word psalm comes from a Hebrew word that means to twang or to pluck, to twang or to pluck, as to pluck on a stringed instrument, especially a harp, uh, but uh, the heart of the psalm was to pluck for praise, we might say. Uh, it's, it's instrumental, it's poetic, and uh, it's done with a harp. In Psalm 33 uh, and Psalm 92 and 144, for example, the psalmist talks about uh, having this psalm on an, an instrument of 10 strings. And so 
It's not very big, uh, and, and it's just the harp that I want you to give your attention to on the bottom there. Uh, that is what, or close, uh, to what a 10-string uh, Israeli-Palestinian uh, harp would look like. There are um, some pretty rude uh, designs in uh, archaeology, of course, depending on whoever the person was that made it. You can have a, a, a fine piece of work or you can have uh, uh, a serviceable one that makes noise. Uh, but this is the one. This is in the, the, um, the museum there, the Temple Museum in Israel. I hope that they're accurate with their um, depictions of a, an ancient harp. But anyway, uh, it was, a, a psalm was attended by music. Uh, many of the psalms served as the Jewish hymnal for worship uh, in the temple as appointed by David. The psalms were, uh, some of the psalms were sung during the feasts of Israel, the, the spring and fall feasts. Um, if you remember, after celebrating the feast of Passover, uh, Jesus sang a hymn with his disciples okay, uh, called the, the Hillel Psalms. We say hallelujah. The first part of that is Hillel, to praise. And uh, it's part of Psalm 115 through Psalm 118. Uh, that's what they traditionally sung. Uh, we might be able to say that the Psalms were given as a divine guide for worship, but we don't want to be too concrete with that because of some of the instruction that we have in the New Testament. Uh, Paul prescribes the Psalms, among other things, uh, for worship. He said this to the Colossians in verse 16. He says, And let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So he actually prescribes three things there, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's actually easier to identify the psalm than it is a hymn <clears throat> and a song from the Spirit. I don't want to get into that tonight. That's uh, also referenced in Ephesians 5.19. Uh, within the great uh, worship manual, um, as you probably know, there's 150 psalms. If you've paid attention to titles, there's many, uh, many different authors uh, who, when you look at the psalm closely, you can find that they're in many different places, many different themes. They actually span a larger time frame than any other book in the Bible because of the, the variety of authors and when they lived and multiple, multiple subjects. Um, if you're curious, the psalm is broken up, the psalms are broken up into five books, five books. Uh, book one is Psalm one through 41. Book two is Psalm 42 through 72. Uh, book three is um, Psalm 73 to 89. Psalm four is 90 to 106. And then 107 to 150 is uh, Psalm, the uh, book five. <clears throat> Something that's interesting, and I don't know that it's entirely verifiable, but according to Jewish tradition, the five books in the Psalms correspond with the, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, not everybody agrees, but um, the Jews uh, insist uh, that book one is about creation, so it would be corresponding with Genesis. Book two is about Israel and redemption, corresponding to Exodus. Book three is about worship and the temple, corresponding, of course, to Leviticus. Book four is about our sojourn on the earth, 
uh, Numbers. Book five is about praise and the word of God, Deuteronomy. Uh, That debate will continue. But I think what it is noteworthy is we know that it's broken up into the five books within the Psalms, but each of the book ends with doxology. And that's not by accident. Um, A doxology is a word that means to give glory or to praise. Psalm 41, the end of book one, it ends with, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Psalm 72, book two, ends with, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory, amen and amen. Book three, end of Psalm 89, blessed be the Lord forevermore, amen and amen. Psalm 106, book four, ends with, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, amen, praise the Lord. And finally, Psalm 150 ends with, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen? Yeah. Um, When you read through the Psalms, uh, you've probably recognized that whatever you're experiencing, uh, the Psalms have a way of addressing it. Uh, Someone has experienced what you have, and it has been written down. Uh, Whether it's pain and suffering, uh, whether it's this uh, contrition that leads to confession and repentance, there's praise and worship, there's prayer and petition, there's anger and sorrow. Uh, Like no place in scripture, anger. You have serious anger. Uh, You have rejoicing and celebration. So whatever it is, Uh, One of the authors, the psalmist, they have endured it, they've rejoiced over it, uh, any of those things. When you read them, you know that the psalms are real, Uh, no punches are pulled on reality, Uh, nothing the heart goes untouched because the psalms, they come from real people, uh, from what real life is made of, and real life is made of some junk, isn't it? But it's there. And so there's something for everyone, every circumstance. But as I've said in the past, the Psalms, rather than being the the rantings of an angry person, um, if you've ever been with somebody that is just fuming with rage, they just speak and they rant, and sometimes it doesn't make any sense. Uh, It's not simply the, the meandering sorrows of a broken heart. When you accompany people with a broken heart, they just spew emotion. And uh, sometimes it doesn't make sense. It's not the mindless excitement of the rejoicer. The Psalms are anchored in truth and they're inspired by the Spirit. Um, It is true that they record rantings, they record sorrows, rage and excitement, love and bitterness from real experiences, but the authors, they're tethered to the Holy Spirit who uses their experience to communicate God's truth, His comfort, His guidance, And I think that the one thing that comes out uh, typically toward the end of a psalm, where there is a ranting, where there's rage, there's sorrow, is that in God's goodness and sovereignty, he kind of reels them back in. And then the psalm ends with sanity. Uh, From whichever direction it came from, it brings the person back down to a rational worship of God. And and that's, I think, what we all need uh, when times are difficult. Uh, The Psalms are uh, very useful in counseling. I have many Psalms that I turn to for wisdom 
when people are struggling with various things. There's no lack of comfort in their pages, no deficiency in their wisdom. God is very present to the seeker, and his mercy is always distributed from his word. So I don't believe that we as Christians can afford to avoid, as David would say, King David, the treasury of David. Or not as David would say, but Charles Spurgeon. The treasury of David. That's a volume that he wrote. So in the Psalms, there are many uh, different uh, classifications or kinds. Norman Geisler lists 10 different categories. John Hunt, uh, he breaks it down to 14. So what I did is I put their list side by side and uh, the repeats I kicked out and then I just kind of meshed them together. So together they talk about the prophetic and messianic Psalms. Um, Jesus called David a prophet. So we should expect to find prophecy in the Psalms, and there's much prophecy there. There's praise psalms and petition psalms. There's penitent psalms, pastoral psalms. There's precept psalms, prayer psalms, profession of faith psalms, so we might say catechism psalms. There's patriotic psalms. There's pilgrimage psalms. There's imprecation psalms, psalms filled with hatred. Um, There's thanksgiving psalms, affliction Psalms, trusting God's deliverance psalms, teaching psalms, intercessory, historical, uh, as we'll spend some time in, there's crucifixion psalms. Uh, Not that any author in psalms was crucified, because crucifixion wasn't invented yet uh, during the, the time of the psalms when they were written, so it's all prophetic. There's coronation psalms, and there's psalms of exaltation. So there's plenty there to to look at and consider. Uh, from the Psalms, I think something that is very important is, uh, is Dr. John Hunt. He lists 19 messianic prophecies uh, within the Psalms. Some people have what they believe is more. Uh, some people say a little bit less. But there's messianic prophecy discussing Jesus' birth. Uh, there's much to say about his divine nature, his ministry, his experience leading to the cross, Psalm 22, his suffering on the cross, and then also the resurrection from the dead. Yeah, all foreseen by David. Um, in uh, Jesus' ministry, he, he frequently referred to the Psalms, uh, referencing, he quoted uh, the Psalms about 12 times uh, in the Gospels. And then something that's very important is in Luke 24:44, he referred to the messianic significance of the Psalms. He said that, the, that he came to fulfill what was written about him in the Psalms. After Jesus was risen, he appeared to the disciples and he says, all of this has happened that I might fulfill what was written in the Psalms about me. Another reference by Jesus is when he was on the cross, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting the the verse one of Psalm 22. I think that he was communicating a message to everybody that uh, could hear him and uh, that they would go back to the psalm and read it because everything that's detailed in Psalm 22 is a discussion about things leading to the cross and what happened on the cross, uh, none of which happened to David. But David is prophetically describing what we call the passion of Christ, his suffering. The apostles also made use of the psalms. Uh, next to Genesis and Deuteronomy, the psalms are quoted the most. So they're quoted third, making good use of those. Um, I think that that um, example should be 
to us that we would use the Psalms as well. Know their information, know their application. All right, so traditionally we do, for our introduction, we do authorship and date, uh, we do historical context, but because of how much time it took to write the Psalms, uh, it's, you can't just give a date, and because of all the different places that the Psalms are written, you can't give too much historical setting, or, or actually you could give too much. So we're not gonna do all that tonight. So let's talk about authors. Uh, no single author, but many. Uh, here they are, not, we got more than that. Um, Moses wrote one. Somebody held on to it for a long time, uh, about 400 years. Psalm 90, David uh, wrote at least 73. At least that's the ones that bear his name. Uh, when you get into the New Testament, you find the Holy Spirit clearing it up that he wrote more than that because the Holy Spirit attributes other ones to David. And um, uh, David's authorship is really corroborated uh, throughout the scripture. Psalm 18 is recorded in 2 Samuel 22. It's there. Uh, David said that God spoke through him as the sweet psalmist of Israel, 2 Samuel 23, 1 through 2. So you should expect him to have his name on a few of them. Jesus referred to David as the author of Psalm 110 in Luke 20, 42. Um, it's in Acts 4, 25 where the apostles attribute Psalm 2 to Jesus, but Psalm 2 doesn't bear his name in the book of Psalms. Uh, both Paul and the author of Hebrew, Hebrews, they attribute Davidic authorship to Psalm 32, and that's found in Romans chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and then Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 7. What an interesting experience to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to communicate information that was impossible without without him. I was reading a scholar today that um, he was challenging a, a skeptic about uh, him thinking that he knew uh, human psychology well enough uh, to be able to define what happens in human psychology when you're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's a really interesting article that he does. Uh, Solomon, of course, he wrote two, uh, the ones that are before you. Uh, we have Asaph and uh, Korah's sons. They wrote 23 together. Uh, we have 49 anonymous ones, 49 anonymous. But whoever they were, I'm assuming that David was probably the author of a number of them, uh, they were inspired, so the Holy Spirit ensured that they got into the text. There's also, um, you want to say he-man, but it doesn't sound very Hebrew. Um, I don't know how to pronounce Haman or what. He wrote one, Psalm 88, and then Ethan, Psalm 89. Now, other than the anonymous authors, um, the, the others here, they're known elsewhere in the scriptures. Um, for example, the sons of Korah, uh, these people were appointed by David to uh, bring worship in the temple itself, First Chronicles 9, 19. Uh, same with um, uh, Haman, First Chronicles 6, 33 through 38, Asaph, 1 Chronicles 6, 39 through 44, and Ethan. So every one of them uh, are mentioned elsewhere in the scriptures as authors of um, the Psalms, except for the anonymous ones, of course. The date, uh, just as there are a number of inspired authors for the book of Psalms, uh, 
The date is not confined to the life of a single author. Uh, They're written uh, all over the place. And so I think that it's easier to establish the date by finding out where they were written. Because we know where the Jews were, or what time of history it was, by where the Jews were. Like, um, well, let's look at it. So the wilderness, that's Psalm 90 with Moses. Uh, What's, I put the date up there, I was gonna ask. I can't fool you now. So that one is about 1400 BC. And then uh, the majority of all of them, of course, were written in Israel, uh, David. And so that puts us between 1000 and 900 BC. There's the exilic Psalms, that is those who were in exile in Babylon. Some were written there. In fact, the most hate-filled Psalm, the imprecatory Psalm comes out of uh, 173. We will look at some precatory psalms. I think they're important uh, not to repeat them uh, in your experience, but uh, to understand them. And then post-exilic, Psalm 107, 147, and those span, uh, as you can see there, from 537 to 444. That means from just when they were released in uh, 537 to the time of Nehemiah. So we have some psalms that go all the way that time. That's pretty broad, isn't it? 1400 to 440 BC. That's a lot of time. It's about a thousand years. All right. Special considerations, doctrine, theology of God, Christology. Um, The the Psalms, and and as you've read them, you've noticed that they're they're rich in theology. There's all kinds of truth about God, Uh, much like Isaiah but the Psalms are written more as a devotional, okay, something you would read to endear your heart to the Lord. And um, uh, they don't, uh, we might say, they don't make their appeal to the scholar, but they do inform the scholar. There's much there to learn. Uh, the Psalms are meant for the heart that pants after God as a result of uh, some things we've already mentioned. Uh, we cry out to God through the Psalms because of heartache, because of disappointment, depression. Uh, contrition, thanksgiving, retribution, uh, you name it. Uh, Psalms satisfy, I think, the longing heart. And that's the real purpose of theology, by the way. Uh, the purpose of theology is not to satisfy uh, the intellect of a, uh, or the curiosity of an intellect, or for him to expand his knowledge only. How many guys have read uh, the knowledge of the holy? A few of you? It used to be called something else. Um, <coughs> The Attributes of God from A.W. Tozer. If you haven't read that, I encourage you to read it because I think that it serves as a nice tutorial for Christians to study the, the theology of God uh, as a motivation to worship him for his attributes. Uh, Tozer is very good at, at worshiping God for him knowing everything or worshiping God because he's everywhere present, looking at God, uh, who he is in his majesty and his infinity and then it, it just, for him as an individual, it, very, it just kind of brought him to his knees in adoration of God. So it's a little tiny book. Uh, it's very good. Um, other men have written books like it, but they're typically large volumes, and they're, they're more philosophical, and they're harder to follow. But the knowledge of the holy is very quick, and it's very penetrating. If you, I think you can get it free uh, on the internet. If you have eSword, it comes free with eSword. How many of you guys have eSword? A couple of you. Okay. 
A lot of, a lot of Tozer's books are on there. Anyway, yeah. But I think that there's a lot in common with David and Tozer as far as their desire to <clears throat> experience God and to know him intimately. So David uh, wants his audience to worship God because of who he is. Here's a, just a sampling of it. Uh, regarding God's eternity, uh, Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you're God. It's eternity. God is omnipotent. Uh, whatever the Lord pleases to do, the psalmist says, he does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in the deepest places. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Uh, Psalm 139, 1 through 6, uh, David is saying, he knows me. He knows my sitting down, my rising up. He even knows my thoughts. He knows the words before I speak them. He knows my way, my lying down, my location. Uh, talks also about God's omnipresence, that he's everywhere present at all times. Psalm 139, 8, he says, David says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now David is not complaining that he can't get away from God. He's rejoicing that no matter where he is or what he's involved in, God isn't just present with him, but he's a present help. He's always there. God is, has infinite wisdom. His word is wise, Psalm 19, 7. Uh, his works, all of them are done in wisdom. Psalm 147, verse six says, great is our God and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Not just his knowledge, but his understanding of things. God is holy, Psalm 99.5 and verse 9. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Now the word holy means other. So God is not like any of the pagan deities in the, the rest of the world. He's not uh, anything like we imagine him to be. He is completely other. God is righteous, Psalm 19.9. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So there's tons of theology in the Psalms. Um, not a lot that they don't touch on. I have a list here, but I'm, I'll save it for when we go through the, uh, the text of Scripture. And I don't know why I wrote theological terms down. Uh, like, I mean, raise your hand if you are familiar with pure actuality. We'll come to that later. Um, as we've already mentioned earlier, I believe that one of the most intriguing things uh, within the Psalms uh, are the Psalms about Christ. They're, they're amazing. Uh, Jesus, as we've already said, he looked back to the Psalms, which were looking forward to him. Isn't that interesting? It's a long time to look back, to look forward. Luke 24, 44, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me, concerning me. 
Psalm 2 and Psalm 27, they predict the future reign of Messiah. Psalm 16 predicts the resurrection of Christ. Psalm 22 foresees the suffering of Jesus. Uh, Psalm 45 and Psalm 110, they reveal his deity. Uh, And that is an interesting thing to consider uh, from the Old Testament, that this messianic anticipation that the Messiah wouldn't just be a normal man, but he would be God in man. So there's references to his deity in the Psalms. Psalm 40 reveals his incarnation, that he would um, assume a body when he, come, when he came. Psalm 69 and Psalm 109 uh, anticipate his betrayal by Judas. Yeah. How would you like to be born knowing that you're going to be betrayed and crucified? He looked back to all that was looking forward to him. Um, have, are you guys familiar with the, uh, the pictorial encyclopedia of the Bible? Come on, you guys. Zondervan. I think the price has gone down since I bought it. Uh, when fresh books come out on the market, they're super expensive, and then they kind of taper off. <laughs> it's a good resource. I was reading uh, Dr. John Oswalt. Uh, he was a contributor to it. Uh, all of the chapters in it uh, and subjects, they're written by a di- different theologian or scholar. And um, if you don't have the pictorial encyclopedia, I, I encourage you to get it. But he provides just a robust explanation and defense for the evangelical and historical view of the Psalms, especially in regard to the, the ones that look forward to Jesus. And uh, of course, somebody is always uh, disagreeing. Somebody's always a skeptic. Uh, Somebody's always a doubter about something. And uh, it's very interesting that most of the doubts, most of the skeptics that were giving arguments for why the Psalms could not be talking about Jesus came before the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were written. And they were saying that the the dates are much later because of some of the word, uh, the, the way that the characters are written, some of the grammar. And they were saying that they were written during the Maccabean period and uh, then the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered and disproved all of that. And so now these scholars typically, as their experience is, they get, they get egg in their face and they have to eat their words. And uh, he demonstrates that very clearly. So anyway, um, we'll look at all of the Messianic Psalms and um, we'll look at their fulfillment in the New Covenant. And um, that'll be fun for me. How many of you guys have a Bible that has a, uh, a star in the margin in the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament, you'll find a star that's colored in? Yeah. So what those stars are typically, especially with Nelson, is the open star is a prophecy, and then the closed star in the New Testament is it's fulfilled, it's filled in. So don't miss those as you go through the text. Find its that's uh, correspondent in the New Testament. Prophecy is definitely one of those things that um, argues for the, the divine nature of the scriptures. So be that, be, be that as it may, um, the Psalms, I, when, I, when I read the Psalms, I get from the author, the human author and the Holy Spirit, that this was written so that I might have someone to identify with and that in my whatever it is that I'm trying to identify with or whatever my need is, that the Holy Spirit is trying to bring me around to a more intimate experience with God himself, to love him more, 
to serve him more, to trust him more, uh, to find him as a refuge, uh, to ultimately, of course, worship him. Um, I think that when you read the Psalms, that he, he comes across as the God that wants to be discovered. He's the God that wants to be known. He's the God that wants to be experienced. And um, so I think that for that reason, uh, among others, the Psalms are extremely, extremely important. Uh, Tozer says that God waits to be wanted. And I think the Psalms are a way of, of helping us get closer to him and satisfy his desire to have fellowship with us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Maybe it's a lot like a love letter when we're trying to woo uh, the one we love. Amen? How many of you guys have read that, that book uh, that has the letters of, um, I can't remember, I just lost their names. It's a lack of nutrition lately. Um, Valerie Shepherd's mom. Yeah, Elizabeth and her husband when they wrote those letters for so long. Devotedly. Has anybody uh, started it? Oh. Now, as you read it, I don't want you to think of how many times Mike did not write you a love letter. Okay, I don't think it's fair. (laughs) He did, okay. All right. I have some letters too. (laughs) She's not listening. So, yeah. So I I guess I would uh, close with this thought. The Psalms cannot be ignored by the responsible Christian. They cannot. Not by a responsible Christian. It's where we really learn how to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, our soul, and our strength. Yeah, by those that have done it. Yeah, so if you skip the Psalms, you rob yourself of knowing Him. So that's what I have for an introduction. And it wasn't very long. But I don't think we did a full set of worship tonight. We got out before quarter after. I typically teach for 45 minutes on... Well, anyway, read Psalm 1. Read Psalm 2 for now. And uh, next week we will exposit the text. And uh, as you read Psalm 1 especially, I want you to think about um, all that's going on in our culture as far as what you think David is, would, if David were alive today, um, if that's David's psalm, um, how, would, how would he apply that particular psalm to us now? All right.